Cape Talk. New beginnings. The FW de Klerk Foundation is pleased to announce the appointment of Ms. Pepela Pidube to succeed Advocate Johan Kriya as the director of the Center for Constitutional Rights with effect from the 1st of May 2016. So it's fresh, fresh, fresh. And she's joining us in the studio. Congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Are you excited or is it too daunting to think about? <laughs> No, it's absolutely exciting. I've been with the organization for a while, so I am familiar with the demands that come with the position, So, but I am looking forward to putting my stamp on it. Let's remind the listeners what the Center for Constitutional Rights does. So the Center for Constitutional Rights is a unit within the foundation, and we primarily seek to uphold the Constitution. We uphold the Constitution by monitoring developments which might affect the Constitution, and these developments could be by way of policy or any laws coming out of Parliament, as well as um, the manner in which politicians are conducting themselves, as well as state organs. And we also assist South Africans from all walks of life to claim their rights, and we also do the same for various individuals. So in a nutshell, we protect, promote, and try to respect the Constitution. An essential job. Uh, We are marking 20 years since the uh, adoption of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa, and it is uh, still arguably one of the most progressive uh, constitutions in the world. And I imagine you'll find that majority of South Africans still don't know what rights are due to them, and more importantly, what they can do to ensure that those rights are protected. Well, indeed, South Africa does have a very progressive constitution. And in fact, a lot of states that are in the process of looking at their constitutions come to look at South Africa's constitution because it serves as a great um, transcript from which other nations can borrow their their constitutional experiences. But it must be said that there appears to be a great disconnect between what the constitution promises on the one hand and a lot of... um, the lived experiences for a lot of South Africans. That said, I think if one looks at the number of service delivery protests, I think South Africa has come to be known as the um, protest capital of the world. I think there is a growing awareness of the rights and entitlements. And yes, I am using the word entitlement. And I I know that um, the term entitlement has come to Um, get a negative connotation but we need to bear in mind that the same constitution says that the state needs to respect, protect and promote the Bill of Rights and the same Bill of Rights says that people have a right to access affordable housing they have a right to access um, health, they have a right to access water and sanitation and education so of course people are entitled to take to the streets and demand these rights from the state so I think there is a growing awareness of what um, people are entitled to in the constitution, but I think the problem is just the manner in which the state, or well, specifically local government, um, fulfills its constitutional obligations. I think we still have a long way to go in those terms. At the same time, though, we do need to highlight surely a concern around how we take to those streets and protest. I mean, this morning there were reports of protests out in uh, Salaris Village, for example. Um, all of last week and over the weekend, we've been reporting on Vuwani, where they went and destroyed schools, uh, vandalized them, basically making it impossible for anyone in those villages to go to a school. And I'm going, yes, you have a right to protest against a decision by the demarcation board to move your municipality to Malamulele. But you don't have a right to deny a child they accessing their right to education. 
Absolutely. I think that's where we lose it as South Africans in the sense that, um, I mean, of course, the Constitution does not specifically state that rights come with responsibility. But reading the Bill of Rights, one can be it, it can be deduced, you know, just that rights come with responsibilities. And, you know, there's a saying that says that your right to exercise whatever rights you have, your right to swing your arm ends where your neighbor's nose end. So this means that in an ideal world, in an ideal society, Society, that ideally South Africans should be able to exercise whatever rights they're entitled to until such a point that this right begins to infringe on somebody else's dignity or somebody else's constitutionally protected right. And I think this is the point that we are simply not getting. Of course, the Constitution allows individuals to protest. It, uh, it allows individuals to strike. But this has to be done in a lawful manner. It has to be done in accordance with due process. But I think at the same time, you know, there are very high levels of frustration with the slow play- pace of service delivery. A lot of people still feel like they're Lives haven't changed much since 1994. So these frustrations fill, uh, spill over. So I think a lot of well, the other arms of government, government need to come to the table and do their part. So if you could have a magic wand and, and put that in, into, into practice, I suppose, or put that in place today and have majority of South Africans understanding, one, that there is a thing called the Constitution and it affords you these particular rights, but with that come these responsibilities, what would that magic wand be? <laughs> Well, my passion is education, really. And um, ideally, I would have, you know, all South African schools having world class education, you know, every child who enters school from the first day, they start learning that, you know, that the notion of constitutionalism is, is inculcated into every single South African citizen, so that we have a generation that grows up knowing what their rights and entitlements are in the Constitution, and in the same breath that they're able to to afford these same rights to their fellow South Africans and so that these would be the same individuals who would then be taking up places in the three arms of government, be it the judiciary, be it parliament, be it um, the executive. But these are individuals who are aware of what the constitution demands of them. We've lived through an interesting period in South Africa where we find that Parliament hasn't really been protective of the Constitution, given, uh, one, some of the behavior of the members of Parliament in that House at the moment, and two, um, somebody was saying that this, this well, since Jacob Zuma got into power, uh, this Parliament and the one you know, immediately preceding this one has probably passed the least amount of legislation, which ultimately is what Parliament is there to do, right? Um, debate, dialogue over legislation that will hopefully uh, improve the ability for government to deliver on the service and, more importantly, the promise of the Constitution of um, of the Republic of South Africa. So Parliament has been, there have been a few question marks as far as the advancement of matters constitutional for uh, people of South Africa. Obviously, there have been a number of questions around the executive and what they're doing decisions they've made that will advance um, the promise of, uh, of of the Constitution. And it has been the judiciary, really, in the last while that has almost come out 
as the champion for the constitution, reminding both parliament and the executive that, guys, you've got a responsibility here. And guess what? The constitution tells you that you've got a responsibility. Absolutely. But I wouldn't be too concerned about the number of um, about the amount of legislation that uh, is being passed by parliament, because I think um, South Africa really does not have a shortage of legislation. There are very few areas in South African law where you could say this is a gap which needs some form of regulation. I think just in terms of laws and policies in place, South Africa is very much on the right track. But what concerns me is the fact that Parliament, according to the Constitution, is supposed to hold the executive accountable. And not just that, but Parliament has a duty to provide a national forum for the public consideration of issues which affect South Africans. And I think on those two issues, Parliament is indeed um, falling behind. And I think um, ultimately there are a lot of political issues which should be settled outside of the courts. But because of the highly acrimonious nature of, of parliamentary debates, we see these well, what are ultimately issues or what are ultimately political issues, we're seeing them playing out in the courts. And I think ideally where the executive is holding, rather where parliament is holding the executive accountable, we should not be seeing any of these cases in court. There's still much to celebrate, though, about, well, one, this country, two, the fact that we are a very strong constitutional democracy. Yes, absolutely. Um, We have come a long way from 1994. And I think it's quite interesting to see a lot of um, Chapter 9 institutions come into being. So, for example, we've seen the public protector time and again strike down conduct by the state and basically tell off public officials for misusing public money. We're looking, we're seeing, for example, the South African Human Rights Commission also very much come into its own. And, you know, they've been busy conducting um, on-site inspections for very vulnerable communities. I think just a couple of weeks ago, they were in um, the Northern Cape region, talking to members of the Khoi and San communities, individuals who feel that they've been left out of the constitutional process, for example. And I think just looking at the decisions that are coming out of the constitutional court, where the courts have not hesitated to strike down conduct by the state, which is in conflict with the constitution, just looking at, you know, the Al-Bashir judgment, for example, I think, you know, that was one of the best examples of the idea that South Africa is a state which abides by the rule of law, just that the courts were able to strike down conduct which was in conflict with the constitution. And I think even if we look at education, yes, um, South African education standards have been criticized, you know, just looking at the statistics, the fact that we only have a metric class, well, we only have 50% of a metric class, making it up all the all the way to metric, the fact that um, we have a very high dropout at university. But it must be said that now is really the only time where we've seen this, this, this many people access education and um, just the fact that there are more women than men at institutions of higher learning and I mean if you look at what statistics SA tells us there is almost 100% enrollment in in schools so I think it you know there has been progress that has been made in a lot of sectors but at the same time we still 
do have a lot of other concerns as well. We certainly do. My guest this half hour is the newly appointed director of the Center for Constitutional Rights, uh, Ms. Pepelapi Dupe, uh, Dube rather. Uh, we'll take a call or two on 021-446-0567. Your SMS is to 31567. And you can tweet me at Africa Milani after these. Cape Talk. Cape Talk. Call us on 021-446-0567. The FW Declared Foundation announcing the appointment of uh, Pepela P. Dube uh, to succeed Advocate Johan Kriya as the Director of the Centre for Constitutional Rights uh, with effect from nine days ago, the 1st of May 2016. She is my guest in New Beginnings this Monday afternoon. How did you get interested in matters of law? <laughs> Um, funny you should ask. Um, actually, I always wanted to be a journalist. I always wanted to go into communication. Um, I'm sure Africa, like me, you're a child of the 90s. And we very much, this was at the time when um, wars were first being televised. And I remember watching Christine Amanpour covering the war in first in Kuwait and then Bosnia-Herzegovina mm. and I was absolutely hooked. I thought this was something that I wanted to do. This was something that I wanted to go into. But then um, I got a scholarship for university and it was a scholarship for communication and my mom sat me down and basically said, if you study communication, you will only ever end up in journalism and that's really the only thing that you could do. Whereas if you study law, then you can still go into law, but with a, um, you can still go into communication but with a legal background and in that way you have many more opportunities and yes that was very much the intention to go back into communication but somewhere along the line I discovered human rights law and constitutionalism and I just never looked back. <laughs> and have you bought your mother a very nice Mother's Day present for <laughs> you yesterday? Yes, <laughs> that goes without saying. Because I imagine at the time yeah. you were thinking oh mom but you don't understand me and, 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 and thankfully you you obviously uh, acceded to her wisdom in this case. Yes, I, I, I guess so. But um, I also must say that I studied at the University of Fort Hay in in Alice, which is a very rural place. And, you know, you had cows and goats on campus, literally. I mean, it's a beautiful campus, you know, set in the midst of the Amalitole range. But at the same time, the University of Fort Hay has a rich history in terms of um, just a critical approach to law. So I think a lot of my lectures basically opened up my eyes to issues of social justice and I mean I studied law at the beginning well just when the new constitution was coming into effect so it was quite interesting to be with your lectures and just trying to decipher what exactly it means to have a justiciable bill of rights um, what role does customary law play in a constitutional democracy etc so there for me the, the, the love for human rights law the love for constitutional law was, was born and it was cemented and I really never looked back. An impossible question is the law just? <laughs> I think that these are two um, well, I think the South African Constitution tries to make the law just. But I think in general, you can have law on the one hand and justice on the other. So I think they're both sides of the same coin and it, it could be in essence a continuum and one may 
may not, may not necessarily mean the other. But the beauty of the South African constitution is that it infuses what, um, and one of my favorite judgments, which is written by um, a, a former judge of the Constitutional Court, Albisex, the PE municipality case, where he basically talks about um, the due process that should be followed when one is evicting an individual from a property that they're occupying unlawfully. So he talks about um, how the constitution infuses grace into the law and mm. I think for me that is the absolute beauty of the constitution. It it, it infuses grace into the law. It, it forces you to consider the position of somebody who may not of, of the position of those that are weaker than than you. So, for example, in eviction law, previously before ninety four, before you know the current constitutional dispensation, the only question would have been who who is the owner, and that really would have been the only question before an eviction order was granted. Whereas now, with the um, with 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 the eviction legislation read in together with the constitution, you have to consider a lot of other factors. Of course, one does still protect property rights, but on the other hand, one also considers the position of this person that has been um, unlawfully occupying a building. So the law forces you in the, the evictions um, case to consider, you know, instances such as are there young children. Is you know are they elderly people? If they are evicted, where will they be taken to? Will this place be far away from you know places of schools and um, and, and work? So in, in a nutshell, I think you know the South African Constitution does try and marry the two law the the the, the, the two concepts you know of, of law and um, of and justice, and it, it hasn't always been like that. You will find, though, that if one was to hold a referendum tomorrow on some of the more controversial aspects of the Constitution, um, I'll give an example. Clarence South Africa, that's uh, their Twitter handle, uh, in the previous hour when we were talking about um, uh, you know, a whole host of things, he tweeted to me, uh, time to bring back the death penalty. Now, the right to life is entrenched in our Constitution, which is why we don't have a death penalty anymore. And yet, every time you report of a heinous crime, of um, the, the senseless killing of another South African because you trying to rob them on the, of their cell phone, for example. Uh, many listeners sending to this station will say, let's bring back the death penalty. I'm not a proponent of the death penalty. I don't think it will do anything uh, to deter a would-be criminal from committing that crime. It's the knowledge, I believe, in knowing that you will be caught, you will be prosecuted, and you will be found guilty of whatever crime that you are about to commit that will deter people. Not the fact that I may then be hung uh, after a very long process of appeals and whatever the case may be. But the, the the death penalty is one issue. The right to abortion is another issue. Where if you were to do a survey or a referendum to be done in South Africa tomorrow, you'll find that the majority of South Africans are will probably be opposed to those very rights that are entrenched in our constitution. Um, yeah, in law, that's what we call the classic counter-majoritarian dilemma, you know, in the sense that you've got a democracy, you know, that's made up of elected officials. But on the other hand, you have this constitution, which basically means that everything that these elected officials um, or that these elected officials are basically, um, well, for want of a better word, that they are hampered by what this document, which is well, what the courts say 
based on what this document says and the people that are in the courts are not elected. So it's always this tension in, in a constitutional democracy between the courts and the elected officials. But at the same time, I mean, specifically with the death penalty, you know, it's, it's very difficult to make a convincing argument for it if we look at the manner in which it's been historically applied in South Africa. You know, just the fact that it's more often individuals who are from poor backgrounds, individuals who cannot afford legal representation who would more often than not end up receiving the death penalty. So just, the, and it, you know, in, even in comparable jurisdictions, you know, in the United States, for example, there have been many instances where a jury has been, you know, has arrived at a decision and a decision, well, rather, well, they've arrived at a decision and it's been found that this decision was influenced by well, frankly speaking, um, a prejudiced perspective. So, you know, there aren't many compelling reasons right now for there to be the death penalty in a, democ- in a constitutional democracy such as South Africa. But at the same time, we need to bear in mind that law serves as the higher ideal in the sense that it gives us a certain level as of objectivity. It gives us a measure of objectivity. I think you and I, Africa, are prone to, you know, our, our human whims, our human weaknesses. It depends on what you had for breakfast. It depends Very on true. how good your coffee was. And, you know, things like that influence your your views. And whereas on the other hand, we have this wonderful standard, the, the law, and that's what serves as the higher ideal. Well, certainly congratulations on your recent appointment. I certainly wish you all the best as the director of the Center for Constitutional Rights. And thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for having me. That was uh, Pepe Lapidube, uh, the uh, recently appointed director of the Center for Constitutional Rights.